Thank you, Caleb and Ivy. And we know the answer to that. There is none like unto our God. He is the eternal God who cannot and will not be conquered. His plans will not be thwarted. He will receive the glory. His eternal plan will be accomplished. Take your Bibles and join me this morning in Acts chapter 12. I've thoroughly enjoyed our wonderful song service this morning. The beauty of the special music, the wonderful way that we join together to corporately sing and to give and now to come and open the Word of God together, submitting ourselves to the truth of God's Word that we may be transformed by it. Last week we saw an an incredible, pivotal point in the early church. And that was that for the first time in a very broad sense, the gospel was being preached to the Gentiles and they were believing on Christ and they were being joined in one with the Jewish Christians because there is one body. We've been emphasizing over the chapters 10 and 11 the unity of the church and the fact that salvation is for all men. And we've come to see now uh, that God is beginning to open a gateway to the Gentile world of giving the gospel. And whenever God is doing a work, Satan is going to oppose it. Folks, we are in spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter 6. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places yet we can rejoice that he who is in us the holy spirit is greater than he that is in the world amen Amen. and we are on god's side we are on the winning side and we can rejoice in that and we're going to see how god uses the attacks of satan against his work to actually propel his work forward look with me this morning at James martyred him in the first two verses of Acts chapter 12. Now, about that time, about what time? About the time when the church was beginning to expand, when the church at Jerusalem and the church at Antioch, though 300 miles apart, were were unified and were ministering to one another, and the church in Philistia and and in different Tyre and, and Sidon in different places, Cyprus and Cyrene, you're seeing the gospel spread and you're seeing the unity of the church and you're seeing the gospel propelled forward at that time. As things are starting to happen... Herod, the king, stretched forth his hands to vex. Literally, that word vex means to abuse certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. You can imagine, here is James. James was one of the inner circle. Peter, James, and John were part of the inner circle of the disciples. Jesus invested three and a half years in these 12 apostles and he spent extra time just with peter james and john i mean peter james and john were on the mount of transfiguration with the lord jesus christ there are other times through the gospels when the bible says that he took aside or took with him only peter james and john and so here one in whom christ had invested you might even say extra is the first of the apostles to be martyred It is interesting that although James and John are brothers, 
that God allowed James to be the first one martyred and John, his brother, to be the only apostle who was not martyred. James, we'll see later in the scripture, was not replaced by another apostle. Remember when Judas Iscariot betrayed Christ and he committed suicide? And what did the apostles, what did Peter stand up and say? Hey, we need another to take his office or his place. But we do not see that here with James. Why? Because of Christ's promise to the apostles in how they would rule in his eternal kingdom, which is another indication to us that Judas Iscariot was an unbeliever. There was not a need to replace the apostle James' uh, office or position as apostle by another apostle because of his ministry continuing on in eternity as the other apostles would. But Judas Iscariot was a son of perdition and condemned in his unbelief. One of the messages that is sent then to the church broadly is if James, who was one of the inner circle of the disciples, is vulnerable to martyrdom, any Christian anywhere could be the possible target of martyrdom. And Satan would love to strike fear into the hearts of the disciples to cause them to run and to hide and to not proclaim the gospel. But even as we saw at the first persecution of the church at Jerusalem, the Bible says in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, and they that were scattered abroad. Why were they scattered abroad? Because of the persecution. And they that were scattered abroad did what? They went everywhere preaching the word. They were running for their lives. Yes, they were protecting their families. Yes, but they were not hiding the fact or disguising themselves, camouflaging themselves, that they were believers. No, they were proclaiming the gospel and evangelizing others with the gospel. So they didn't run in fear. They ran because of discernment and discretion. But they were still bold for the Lord Jesus Christ in their witness. Someone asked the question, well, why was Peter? Because we see here, Peter is delivered. And you know what? Peter's deliverance actually cost the lives of Roman soldiers. But why was Peter delivered? He was also part of the inner circle, and James was not. That is one of the mysteries of the sovereignty of God. And yet we know that God does all things well, He makes no mistakes. And where we cannot understand what God is doing, we can always trust and rely on the character of our perfect and infinite God. It's interesting that James' death did not panic the church, nor did it shatter their faith in Christ. Yet, let me tell you that church at Jerusalem very poignantly felt the loss of James he was a leader of the church at Jerusalem. If we similarly today are going to be suffering a loss, not of martyrdom, but this is the Bunces last Sunday, and they'll be moving to Greenville. We're going to be missing uh, their delightful spirit and their ministries in so many different areas. The Hursts, who've ministered here for almost 20 years, and have made such an impact for Christ in this church and our community are headed to Florida. They're trading dress shoes for flip-flops. <laughs> but they're not going to stop doing ministry. It's just going to change the way it looks a little bit. And you know, we are going to feel that loss. 
And yet, we do not fear the future. We move forward by faith. And we will faithfully serve God and reach our community and disciple believers and be a lighthouse of the gospel and stand for the truth in this community. But that doesn't mean that we don't feel the loss of those who have labored in love among us. And we rejoice that we'll get a chance to fellowship and there will be times, I'm sure, when we'll go down there to visit or they'll come up here and we can have times of fellowship again. But we are going to feel the effects of that. But God's grace will cover it. Now look with me in verses 3 and 4 at Peter's imprisonment. In verse 3, the Bible says, Because he, Herod, saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. That's the Passover. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to the quaterians, four quaterians of soldiers, to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. So there are 16 soldiers, four groups of four, that are, that are assigned by Herod to guard Peter. Peter comes to celebrate the Passover and then Easter, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Apparently he was out ministering in other places. Some people say, well, why was it that James was the one that was martyred at Jerusalem? Because Herod begins to seek and he's looking to persecute and attack, to abuse certain of the church. And James apparently was there. Maybe the other apostles were out of town. Maybe they were ministering abroad at this time, and he was the only one. Uh, One commentator uh, kind of uh, speculates that maybe it was because James and John were the sons of thunder. And maybe as as James is preaching, he says something that, uh, that gets back to the ears of King Herod that offended him. And so he particularly... Uh, targeted James. But we know all of this, no matter what the reasons or how it came about, God is sovereign and God allowed it. And you know what that means? That means that James' mission and ministry was fulfilled. Folks, we who are saved may face persecution. We may face serious physical ailments, financial setbacks, and other things. But you know what? We are protected by the almighty hand of God. And he will provide and protect us until our ministry is accomplished. And then he'll call us home to heaven. Herod Agrippa I was actually the king over all of Israel. This rarely happened that the Roman Empire would allow a king of an entire nation. And so Herod's grandfather and father were both tetrarchs. They were rulers over regions. But actually Herod Agrippa I was friends of the, of the Caesar at that time. And that Caesar actually made him king over all of Israel. Galilee and Samaria and Judea all came under King Herod's Agrippa I's control. He actually had grown up uh, in Israel and he wanted to cultivate the favor of the Sanhedrin and the Jewish people. It's much easier to rule people when they're friendly with you. And so seeing that it pleased the Jews when he put James to death, he seeks to further ingratiate himself with the Jewish nation and the Sanhedrin by imprisoning Peter also. It's interesting to note that historically persecution usually either comes from false religion or from political oppressive governments. So that raises the question, 
will we Christians in this country be persecuted to appease popular opinion or quell riots? That's what Herod Agrippa's motivation was. I believe we will. I believe Christians in this country will face persecution to appease popular opinion and to quell riots. So wherever there is opposition, wherever there are problems, historically, often Christians are blamed. And it's usually by a false religion or by an oppressive government that falsely attacks and falsely blames Christians to be the problem. I think we're going to face it. It's interesting here how Herod took extraordinary measures so that Peter could not escape. You remember that there was a time when the Sanhedrin imprisoned the apostles and overnight God released them. And the next morning, where were they? They were back in the temple proclaiming Christ. And so Herod's going to make sure that, they didn't, that Peter doesn't escape. He's going to wait until the end of Passover because he doesn't want a riot on his hands. And he intends to bring him out to bring him before the judgment seat and to condemn him to death publicly to appease the Sanhedrin and the Jews. But he wants to make sure Peter's not going to escape. You see, traditionally, there would be one Roman soldier assigned to be chained to the prisoner. Usually it was the left hand of the guard because he'd be right-handed. And that way um, he would have his strongest and, and most uh, flexible arm and hand uh, free to subdue the prisoner or whatever he needed to do. And then outside of the prison cell, there would be one other guard that would be watching. But now Peter is chained by both arms to two guards and there are two guards outside and there were every three hours there was a changing of the guard. So these guys should not have fallen asleep. Each watch through the night was only three hours long. He wanted to make sure that Peter did not escape. But look then with me, if you would, at the church's intercession. Beginning in verse 5, the Bible says, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. When it says that prayer was being made, that's in the imperfect tense, it's talking about a continual, fervent, earnest prayer. In verse 5, it talks about and this earnestness and this continual earnestness. They were fervently and continually praying for Peter's release. They had all, already suffered a poignant loss. And they are praying that God would spare Peter. One writer said, this word for prayer speaks uh, of, of a prayer that issues from the very heart of the petitioner. But then here's this observation. But all prayer... But this prayer, as indeed all prayer, was not answered simply because of their fervor or frequency with which they made it, but because God chose to do so. Prayer is always a matter of not my will, but thine be done. Another commentator made this observation. We live in a cold, prayerless generation. We that live in a cold, prayerless generation can hardly form an idea of the earnestness of these holy men of old. But if the Lord should bring on the church an awful persecution like this of Herod, the faithful in Christ would learn what soul-felt prayer is. And we should never underestimate the power of a praying church. 
on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock. We meet here on Wednesday night, not for midweek Bible study, but for prayer meeting. Now, we do have a Bible study. We'll come in here. I'll make some announcements. I'll take prayer requests. We'll sing one song. And then we'll open up the Word of God and we'll study the Word of God for about 25 or 30 minutes. But we reserve about 45 minutes after that for us to meet together in groups and to spend time in prayer. And we prioritize that. And our prayer should be fervent. It should be continual. It should not just be limited to prayer meeting. But we want to ensure that we come together corporately, consistently to pray. Never underestimate the power of a praying church. But then let's look at verses 6 to 11 at Peter's deliverance. In in verse 6, the Bible says, When Herod would have brought him forth, that is to come before the tribunal and to be condemned, that same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side, raised him up, saying, Rise up quickly! And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself, and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he said also to him, Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. And he went out, and followed him, and wist not that it was true which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and the second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which openeth to them of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. First thing I notice here is that Peter's sleeping. I mean, he's going to be executed the next day. At least that was man's intention. But Peter's sleeping. How in the world could Peter sleep so peacefully when he was facing this? Well, first of all, remember in John chapter 21, verses 18 and 19, Jesus' prophecy concerning Peter. He said to Peter, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, Thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, Peter's not old yet, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldst not. This he spake, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And other authors of divine scripture make it clear that that was by crucifixion. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, Follow me. So he knew he wasn't going to die by the sword. Herod had killed James by the sword. That kind of indicates that there was a political motivation behind it. And Peter knew, I'm going to be crucified for Christ someday. That's how I'm going to die as a martyr. Christ told me that. And when I am old, this is going to happen. And so based on the promise of God's word, Peter was able to peacefully sleep. You know... Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these we may be partakers of the divine nature. The divine nature, that is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, allows us as we walk with Him to enjoy the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. peace. 
Peter had a peace based on the promises of the word of God. And you know the thing that will help you on those sleepless nights is to yield up those things to God in prayer as Peter admonishes us, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And then to claim the promises of the word of God, to pray the promises of the word of God, including in Psalm 127, where the Bible says, He giveth his beloved sleep. And you can sleep because you can put your reliance upon God. Peter's going to die the next day according to Herod's intention, according to the will of the people at large. And yet Peter, based on the promises of the word of God, had a confidence Faith in the word of God gave him peace. That same faith in the word of God and his promises can give us peace. One writer said this, A peaceful conscience, a lively hope, and the consolations of the Holy Spirit can keep men calm in the full prospect of death, even those very persons who have been most distracted with terrors on that account. God's time to help is when things are brought to the last extremity. Peter was assured that the Lord would cause this trial to end in the way that it should most bring God glory. Peter even says that. He, he, he said in Philippians, he said, I'm in a straight betwixt two. Having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, is to, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And so I'm confident that I shall remain in the flesh. What kind of a confidence? What kind of a peace? To, hey, listen, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, that's even better. And if, and if man martyrs me for the sake of Christ, then I'm with Christ. They're not doing me any harm. <laughs> They're helping me graduate to glory. We can do that with a joyful confidence instead of being overwhelmed by fear. Peter sleeps because his faith was in the promises of the word of God and because he had a clean conscience knowing he was right with God, knowing he was headed for heaven. And knowing that God, through his Holy Spirit, was giving him that peace. One writer asked this question. What a change in a man who had been cowed into denying Christ by the accusations of a mere servant girl. How Peter had grown in Christian courage. How well do we sleep when we face trouble? It is a good measure of our Christian growth and maturity. Remember back? To when Peter had the night that Christ was betrayed, when Christ said, you guys are going to deny me, you're going to all forsake me. And Peter says, not me, Lord, I'll die with you if I need to. And Jesus said, before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. In the face of a slave girl who said, yeah, you were with Jesus. He cursed and denied knowing Christ. And you know, here, is a transformation of a believer, a disciple of Christ. And what a wonderful story how God gives believers second chances. And though Peter had denied Christ vehemently and cursed three times, yet after Christ's resurrection, when Jesus comes to him and confronts him with his need, and Peter is honest and humble about where he is in his love for the Savior, and Christ commissions him. Christ is saying, I have purpose for you. I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to tend my sheep. I want you to feed my lambs. And now we see a man transformed by the filling and the power of the Holy Spirit. And through the revelation of God's word that the Spirit gave to the Apostle Peter. 
And he can with great confidence sleep knowing he is in the hands of God. And whether by life or by death, that Christ would be glorified. It's interesting because here we also see something that the angel, though this is a supernatural deliverance, the angel gives Peter some practical things to do. All right? So when the, when the angel comes in and he slaps Peter, he says, get up, Peter. And Peter gets up and miraculously these chains fall off. But what, what does the Peter say? He said, get dressed, Peter. So Peter gets up. Peter gets dressed and goes, oh yeah, put on your outer coat. And so Peter puts that on. It's interesting that even in a supernatural deliverance, God has practical things and practical steps of obedience that he wants us to do. And now, of course, remember that Peter was soundly asleep, peacefully awaiting, maybe going to glory. I think he was expecting he was going to be delivered. And that's why he slept so soundly, because he was believing and trusting in the promises of the word of God. I think also the prayers of the church praying and interceding for for Peter, that part of that, that they were praying that God would give Peter that peace and that consolation of the spirit and that God was also answering their prayers in that. And I think that that is also an excellent admonition to us to pray for other believers as we know they're going through turmoil, turmoil, times of distress, distress or persecution, that we would be praying for them as well. The Lord uses all of these things for the benefit of his people. He did not do, the angel did not do for Peter what Peter could do for himself. No way Peter could deliver himself, but he could get up, he could get dressed, he could put on his coat, he could follow the angel. And he did. One writer said, when God bids us arise and obey, we must do so without considering the obstructions that confront us. It is our part to rise and gird ourselves. It is for him to cause the chains to fall off and the iron gates to open. What are iron gates to him who cleft a path through the Red Sea? Now, this iron gate, historically, from the research I could do, this iron gate that was opened for Peter took several strong men to open. And it opened automatically. No wonder Peter thought at first it was a vision. And when he comes out and the angel leaves him, and Peter comes realizes, wait a minute, this is not a vision. This is, this is actually happening. I am being delivered. What does Peter then do? Well, he takes a very practical step. And the Bible says in verse 12, when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. He knew that this was a common place of gathering for believers. I'm sure that he'd come to the logical conclusion that if there was a prayer meeting going on, this would be one of the homes where this would be taking place. God had delivered him. The angel leaves. And now Peter has a responsibility not to just stand around and get arrested again. And so he goes to this home because of some some wisdom that God was going to give him. We'll look at it in just a minute. But I want you to see Rhoda's rejoicing. This is wonderful. Look at verse 12. The Bible says, And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, mother of of John, whose surname was Mark. There were many gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, praise the Lord, God answered our prayer request. We knew this was going to happen. What they say? Thou art mad. You're crazy. You've lost your mind. 
Peter's in prison. We're praying for him. But Rhoda is insistent. Look at this. And they said unto her, thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. And they said, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door, they saw him and were astonished. You know what Rhoda means? It means Rose. And here is Rose, a servant girl, who would have been probably the porter for the outer door. Uh, there would be an outer door from the street that you would open. There would be a courtyard. You would go to the home. There would be the inner door or the main door or entrance of the home. So Rhoda heard the knocking, went out of the house, went down the little alleyway or courtyard area to the door and there's knocking and Peter is talking, she recognized Peter's voice. I believe Rhoda was a believer. She was a Christian. She had heard Peter teaching and his voice was familiar. She goes, unmistakable. I know that's Peter. And so she's so excited. She leaves the door locked and runs back in because she is so excited. But you know what's interesting? Never for a moment did she doubt that it was really Peter. Never for a moment did she doubt that God had answered their prayers. What? A young lady of faith. And even when other well-meaning believers said, Rhoda, thou art mad. You're crazy. She constantly affirmed. Her faith was not shaken. You know, it was a step of faith to even open that door. James had just been martyred. And Herod had arrested Peter. Herod was seeking to vex certain of the church. How did she, not, how did she know whether it was Peter at first when she, she heard door knocking? And so she goes to answer the knock. But how did she know what was on the other side of that door? It could have been Roman soldiers. Until she heard Peter's voice. And then she runs back in, rejoicing in God's answer to prayer. And constantly affirmed it. God, one writer observed, who leaves in oblivion names of mighty conquerors, treasures up that of a poor girl for his church in all ages. I love it. Where certain great conquerors and kings of empires are not named in the scripture, God gives us the name of Rhoda, of Rose, because she was a woman who rejoiced by faith in God's answer to prayer. And even when others doubted, it did not shake her firm confidence in the answer of God's prayer. When the group says she's crazy, she stands insistent. When they say it's his guardian angel, when they said it's his angel, the Jews kind of had this idea that everybody has a guardian angel and that when, have you, and, and I don't know, maybe this is something that you've experienced. I know if I've experienced this, where there's been a dear friend or a loved one that has passed away and I think I've seen them, or I think I've heard their voice. And I'm not sure if I'm imagining it. Sometimes it's in a dream. Sometimes it's kind of like you walk into a place that you used to share, maybe a, a restaurant or a home or a park, and you glimpse and you think you see something, or you think you hear something. And so the Jews had this idea that when a person passed away, that their guardian angel could take on their physical appearance and the sound of their voice temporarily before people had finished the grieving process. 
So that's what they're believing. They're saying, no, 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 Rhoda, you don't understand. They're trying to spiritually instruct her. This is his guardian angel, and this is his appearance, and it sounds, you recognize his voice. It could be Peter's voice, okay, but understand it's not really him. It's just his guardian angel who's taking this form on. Peter's like, uh-uh, it's a real deal. He's right out there. And she's so excited. But she stands insistent. It's interesting. They're thinking of all of these different ideas, like, oh, it's his guardian angel that's taken on his voice and his appearance. You know, fear sometimes inspires really weird theories. <laughs> Rather than accept at face value, hey, this is, we've been praying. God answers prayer. We've been praying for God to deliver Peter. Peter's at the door. Let's go greet him. But I believe because of their fear, they were thinking of all other solutions. They were not expecting their prayers to be answered. Now, before we're too hard on them, are there not times when we pray but really wonder whether our prayers are going to be answered, if there's any hope for what we are petitioning the Lord? And always, obviously, we should be praying, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. But these people were shocked. The Bible says this, if you look back in verse 16. But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door, they saw him and were astonished. This word for astonished is almost like the old English word apoplexy where somebody is so shocked or overwhelmed by something that happens emotionally that it affects them physically. They faint or they have a heart attack or something like that. It's an extreme emotional shock that has a physical effect. And that's the idea. When they were astonished, I mean, it was like they were so shocked. They were like, they couldn't even say anything at first. They were just, you know, you know pick your jaw up off the floor. It was that kind of astonishment that they had. Now, they were astonished with great rejoicing. They rejoiced together. But then I want you to see, last of all, Peter's prudence in verse 17. But he, Peter, beckoning unto them with hand to hold their peace. Once they finally found their voices, man, they couldn't stop jabbering and talking and asking questions and, and all this sort of thing. And so he beckons to them to hold their peace declaring unto them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. God is getting the glory. And he's sharing with them how God answered their prayers and that this is how it happened. He gives them the specific details so they understand this is what actually happened. And then the Bible says, and he said, go show these things unto James. This is James, the Lord's brother. Okay. And to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. Peter testifies to God's gracious deliverance and he asks them to relay the news to the Jerusalem church leadership, which would be represented by James, the brother of our Lord. Peter departs, I think in part, to protect the Jerusalem brethren, but it is also because God freed him for a purpose. And it wasn't to stand around and get arrested again. It was to proclaim the gospel. And because God had granted him that freedom, that miraculous, supernatural miracle of freedom, he is going to be a good steward of that. And he's going to go to other parts and fulfill the mission and preach the gospel where he would be led of the Spirit to go. God's providence leaves room for the use of our prudence. Though he has undertaken to perform and to perfect that which he has begun. So God freed him, but that did not give Peter the license to be imprudent. 
There are some observations that I'd like to encourage you with this morning. We're not going to have a come forward invitation. There's going to be an invitation where we'll have our musicians play, our heads will be bowed, and we'll worship before the Lord in response of our hearts. I would invite you, if you don't have the same confidence that Peter had based on the promises of the Word of God, what promise you say is that? Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. John 1, 12, And as many as received them, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. John three thirty six, He that has the Son has everlasting life. John ten twenty eight, And I give unto them eternal life, Jesus said, and they shall never perish. If you don't have an absolute confidence and peace, that if you were to die today, that your soul would be in the very presence of Jesus, the same confidence and peace that Peter had that allowed him to sleep, in the, in the face of imminent danger. Humanly speaking, there was no escape, yet Peter trusted in the promises of God, was encouraged by the prayers of God's people, and was ready to die if God would receive the glory in a greater way by his death than with his life. So let me just share with you some of my observations. It's, it's easy for us to be discouraged. But the temporary triumphs of the wicked will not prevail. Do you remember when both the songs, the one by our chorale, Is He Worthy? And of all of the things that that song thematically expresses through the prophecy of Scripture to know what we look forward to, to worship forever in the very fellowship and presence of our Almighty God. As Ivy and Caleb were singing again about a God who is loving and he's eternal and he's sovereign, the one from whom, to whom all will bow the knee someday. We rejoice in that. And we know that the temporary triumphs of wickedness shall not prevail. If you're ever discouraged by that, go to Psalm 37. And you will see, traced throughout that, that though sometimes it seems the wicked prosper and it seems like the righteous are suffering, when sometimes it seems like the righteous are losing and the wicked are winning, realize that the temporary triumphs of the wicked will not prevail. By waiting in prayer, we who are saved, we Christians, can look with hope beyond the moment to see the continuing victory of God in the years and centuries and millennia and even all eternity to come. Shall we bow our heads before the Lord this morning in worship? Maybe you faced some persecution at work recently for being a Christian. Maybe you have endured some unkindness, some mean-spiritedness from extended family because of your stand for Christ, though you've sought to do it as kindly and as graciously as you can. Sometimes being salt and light, standing for truth against error in a spiritually dark world brings upon us persecution. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe it seems like triumphs of wickedness are prevailing, but they will not ultimately prevail. Wait in prayer. Look with hope. 
to God's promises of the future. You know, I trust every one of us who are saved are prepared for that day when God will call us home. That we are so walking with God now that we are ready to glorify Him, whether by life or by death. As we know of others who seem to be hemmed in by circumstances and persecution, let us pray for them as the church earnestly and consistently prayed. Let us be like Rhoda, whose faith rejoiced in the answer to God's prayer. And may we take heed at Peter's spirit as he is delivered and understand that with our God, nothing shall be impossible. Interpret your circumstances in light of God's eternal power and wisdom. And look forward by faith to what God will do with your life and how God will be glorified in your life if you will faithfully keep walking with Him and trusting Him. As our pianist begins to play right now on these admonitions, would you meditate? Would you respond in your heart to the Lord?